I'm just going to give you a quick minute to get settled. Yes, we are live. Look, this is what I want you to do. If you are, hopefully you're in your living rooms, surrounding the television together as family. You may be alone, you know, sitting on the edge of your bed with your laptop or your telephone. But this is what I want you to do. If you're there with your family, I want to ask you to do something very specific. I want you to grab hands. Husbands, grab your wives' hands. Wives, grab your children's hands. Everybody just grab hands. And if you're just by yourself, it's okay. But I want everybody, if you're together, just grab hands. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. You know, this morning, after I made my coffee, I, I went out and I sat down on the, on the back porch in the shade. And there was a nice breeze. And I just felt the presence of the Lord so strong. My wife was there. And we were just holding hands and worshiping the Lord together. And we were praying. And we were just dreaming about our future. And you know what? I thank God for the season that he has his church in. I thank God that this is a season of reset, that we are going back to the simplicity of the gospel, that it's about nothing else but Jesus, about his presence. And so as you are getting ready to enter into worship this morning, I want you to begin to just love him from your heart. Like whatever that looks like for you, begin to tell Jesus how much you love him, how grateful you are. Just begin to worship him. Come on. The Bible says that there is a day that is coming where those who worship the Lord will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to You this morning, and we worship You in spirit, and we worship You in truth. Lord, You are the one that our hearts long for. You are the one that completely satisfies all of our longings. And we come to You, Lord, on this Sunday morning, and we thank You, Father, that this is Your day. Lord, every day is your day, but I just declare your word that today is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Father, we just lift up our hearts to you. We lift up our hands to heaven. We lift up our voices to you this morning, and we declare the goodness of our God. We declare the graciousness and the mercy of our King this morning. Lord, we thank you that as we lift up our voices to worship you, that you come and you abide in the praises of your people, that you make your habitat habitation amongst us God when we worship you so Lord I declare this morning that you're filling this church I declare Lord this morning that you're filling living rooms and bedrooms and, and kitchens God wherever people are listening to this service and worshiping you and hearing your word I declare that you're invading their space Lord in Jesus name so Father we declare that the atmosphere is shifting now Right now, we declare the holiness of heaven. We declare an atmosphere of worship. We declare, Lord, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So we thank you today for salvations, God. We thank you today for healings in living rooms, God. We thank you for deliverances and freedom because wherever you are, God, you, you bring all these things because you can't help but be who you are. So Jesus, we love you with everything that we are this morning. And we ask you, oh God, that you would receive this worship as an offering of praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Well, I want you to take this moment to get your family and worship the Lord and get ready to receive the word in a moment. Amen. As Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but see. 
abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. God, I want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Your grace, God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears. It's like holy water on my skin Your forgiveness Is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears It's like holy water on my skin forgiveness it's like sweet sweet honey on my lips it's like the sound of a symphony to my ears it's like holy water on my skin it's like holy water on my skin Every breath and offering 
Christ, He's lancing over you, my worthy King of Kings. So let it rise like incense, my whole life, a fragrance every ounce, here broken at your feet. In every breath and offering, my heart cries, these lungs sing over you, my worthy King of Kings. My heart 
and these mountains sing over you. My worthy King of Kings. Let me so let me rise like incense. My whole life a fragrance every ounce. Hit broken at your feet. And every breath an offering. My heart cries and these lungs sing over you.
not by might, but only by the cross we come alive. And here we're undone, overcome by heaven's love revealed before us. Sing that again.
Show 
playing here in the church I just felt the peace of God rush into this place and I know that there's no difference in the spirit and I just sense in my heart that there are many people obviously that are that are dealing with new levels of stress and anxiety maybe it's even turned into fear and that fear can begin to turn into doubt and right now I want to just encourage you Wherever you are, if you're dealing with fear, with doubt, anxiety, stress, worry, I want you to just lift up your hands because I want to declare the word of God over you. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says that, he says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, do I give it to you. Receive the peace of God. Receive the shalom of heaven right now, wherever you are. Just breathe in, come on, just breathe that peace in. And I want you to just exhale. All that stuff that's been weighing you down. Come on. Just breathe, breathe in the shalom of God, the peace of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And wherever you are, I want to tell you something. That the Lord is with you. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. He knows the extent of your circumstances. He has not left you as an orphan. He is with you right now. So I just want you to just receive His peace. Come on. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. That in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But do not fear, Jesus said, because I have overcome the world. So I want you to just grab a hold of the Prince of Peace in this moment. And just begin to thank Him for His peace. Lord, I thank You that You give to us, not as the world does, but also as the world cannot receive. We receive peace from God. And we thank You, Lord, in this time and all times in our life that we can walk in the uncomparable, uh, unfathomable peace of God because there's nothing like it. And so, Lord, I declare peace over Your people this morning. I declare peace over families. I declare peace over individuals because, Lord, you are with your people. You know, and God is so much with us that I, I've had a scripture in my heart that I wanted to read to you because I want to remind you of how good our God is. In Genesis 26, verse 1, it says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Ambimelech, the king of the Philistines, Philistines in Gerir. In verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants so the Philistines envied him you know I learned this a long time ago in the Word of God it shows that the Lord makes distinction between his people in the world and that even in a time of famine 
Isaac began to sow into the land and he reaped a hundredfold blessing. And so in this season, I want to remind you that not only will God give you peace and joy and comfort and his presence, but God will also cause you to prosper. I know that it seems like the world around us is falling apart, that the economy is falling, that people, they really are suffering. They're losing wages. Businesses are losing sales. But can I tell you something? That in the body of Christ, we don't operate on the world system of economy. Amen? We operate by kingdom economy. So I personally want to just encourage you and even challenge you. As a member of this body, my wife and I have committed that we will not withhold from the Lord, especially in this season. We're not going to do it because we're in covenant with heaven. We're in covenant with Jesus. I'm not in covenant with the world. I'm not in covenant with this economy. I will be faithful to God even in times that seem like they're lack. And remember this promise. In Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Let me declare this over you. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. I declare that in this season that the church will yield the greatest fruit that we have ever yielded because God is faithful. Amen. Well, I thank you for joining us in worship. And I, I want to ask you to get your Bibles, surround that television, that computer screen, wherever you are, with your Bibles opened and ready to receive the Word of God. I know a lot of people have probably, probably been eating too much in the natural, but I pray that you're not in a famine for the Word of God in this season. Open your Bibles and get ready for the bread of life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. I wish y'all could see what I see. Last week, they said that was the best empty church sermon they'd ever heard. Well, the church isn't empty this morning because all across the rows here, there are puppets <laughs> filling the pews where you normally would be. <laughs> wow. That's encouraging, but I still miss every one of you, and I know one day we're going to be back together again. Praise the Lord. But I have a word this morning, and I have simply titled it, What the Spirit is Saying to the Church, and I need to give a little background how this came about, and please, I, I, I pray I can get my you understand my heart in all that I'm about to say because I am not criticizing or, or finding fault or anything else. But uh, I wrote about it earlier in the week on our private Facebook page for the church. A little frustration that I had after a conference call with other ministers in our fellowship around this area. And I know everybody's doing everything that needs to be done or can be done and we were being told or helped to give ideas and thoughts of how to encourage people and help people and minister to them when you can't be there with them. And believe me, it is hard ministering and not seeing your faces and, and 
how you're responding and all of those things. But uh, one of the things that stood out in my mind during that conference call, it just blew me away. And we were simply told one thing you definitely don't say to your people at this time is do not say to them that what is happening is God's judgment. Now, I understand the intent there, that it does no good to sit there and with a haughty spirit berate people and put people down and basically be like that street corner preacher out there who's condemning everyone and going to hell and berating them and all of those things. But they were basically saying that in times of crisis, this is not the time to say this is God's judgment. And I want to make a clarification in that just because bad things happen does not mean it's God's judgment. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, there's trouble for the ones who don't know God and there's trouble for the ones who do know God. And so every time something difficult happens or cataclysmic happens or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's God's judgment. However, with that said, I want you to understand that there must be times that ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ recognize when God is doing something and it falls under the category of what I call biblical judgment or the hand of God. The overall concept of, yes, people need hope and people need to be assured and all of those things, that's true. But without the backdrop and understanding that there are times that God allows catastrophic things to take place as a judgment, his, there's a purpose behind it. And if we do not tell people that and do not help them understand that, then what happens is when it's all over, everything goes back to the way it used to be. My friends, I want to tell you this morning that I'm here to tell you the truth because the truth sets us free. This past week, two times in a row, about 2.33 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened out of a deep sleep and I thought I heard my wife's voice next to me and she was, it was like one of alarm, if I could put it that way. I kept hearing, Bob, 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 wake up, Bob, Bob. And finally, I'd get out of that deep sleep and I jumped up and rolled over to see what was wrong and she was sound asleep. First night, I thought, well, I was just dreaming that. And the second night, the same exact time, it happened again. And I looked at the clock and I realized, God, what are you saying? I felt like God was waking me up, using a voice that I would respond to, the one of my wife. And she was sound asleep, and I knew then God was trying to say something. And this, was, this, this message began turning on the inside of me. And so this is what I'm here to share with you. And I believe it is the truth for this hour for the church that we understand what God is saying and what God is doing. 
Because the truth not only sets us free, it's the truth that brings us peace in the middle of a storm. It's the truth that gives us confidence in the face of adversity. It's the truth, the truth of God's word that enables us to get up each day and do more than just hang on. You know, a lot of God's people, they're, they're just hanging on right now. God didn't call us to hold the fort, so to speak. He called us to storm the gates of the kingdom of darkness with the light and hope and love of Jesus Christ that it so desperately needs. My mind went back to the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who found themselves in their times confronting, quote, prophets of the day, false prophets who were spreading their truths as they perceived it, their prophecies and their visions and their good words, and yet God called them lies. And the reason he called them lies is because it wasn't from him. It wasn't the word that he was speaking. They were simply telling the people what they wanted to hear. In the book of Isaiah, verses 30, 10 through 11, it says, They tell the seers, don't see any more visions. They say to the prophets, don't tell us the truth. Say things that will make us feel good. See only good things for us. Stop blocking our path. Get out of our way. Stop telling us about God, the Holy One of Israel. Uh, all, all the last two days I've been stirred. I've been searching through my notes for something. And finally I came across what I was looking for. It was 13 months ago, in the month of February of 2019, that I preached a message called Nickels and Noses. And uh, in that message, I noted that earlier in the week that the New York governor, uh, Governor Cuomo, had signed legislation that legalized the abortion of children up until the day of birth. And I remember telling the church, I remember when I spoke about that, and I remember watching that on the news as they were signing it. And a, a chill went down my spine because surrounding him were all these people and women and men who were clapping and cheering as he signed this bill into law. And it just seemed so surreal. And I remember I made this statement. You can go back and look at the message. I can prove it to you that I made this statement then. When I saw that take place, I felt in that moment that judgment, the judgment of God upon New York had been signed and sealed in heaven. And yesterday, I saw due to the escalation of COVID-19 in New York, that President Trump announced that he was, gonna, he, could, he was going to quarantine all of New York. And I saw that this morning he backed off of that, but instead the CDC has come out with a travel advisory warning anyone traveling from New York or going into New York, basically blocking traffic except for essential services such as truckers and things like that. And, and basically for 14 days. And, and when I read that, I said, see, this is because they said New York has become the hotspot. It's become the epic center. 
And I couldn't help but go back to the words of David Wilkerson. I don't have time to bring that up, but I've reread them and heard them over and over and over, the visions and things that God had given him about New York. And, 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 and I'm telling you that what's happening is not by coincidence. Now, some people would say God, God doesn't work that way. God is a God of love, peace, mercy, and patience. And I say, absolutely, that's true. However, at the same time, compassion cannot overrule righteous judgments. And I'll give you the greatest example. I'd really never thought of this until late last night. A verse that we all know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, what does that have to do with it? Well, what did I state? that compassion cannot overrule righteous judgments. So in the first part of John 3, 16, we see, for God so loved compassion that he gave his only begotten son righteous judgment. Because see, in Isaiah 53 and 6, it says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The reason he gave his son is because he desires a relationship with his creation. He desires a relationship with us. But the iniquity of our life, the sins in our life, had blocked us, had, had broken that fellowship. And so the compassion of God doesn't overrule the righteous judgments of God, so he sends his son and lays upon him the sins of the world. Righteous judgment. Our sins required a sacrifice and that, so that forgiveness can be allocated and it can be found. I could show you many, many examples throughout the scripture, but I can tell you clearly that the Bible says that there is a cause and effect relationship. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, what does cause and effect mean? Well, a cause and effect relationship is when something happens that makes something else happen. That's, in other words, the cause creates the effect. It's the reap what you sow principle that we find throughout the Bible. It's the biblical principle behind biblical judgment. So before I go any further, I want to give you a definition of what I mean, what I believe the Bible teaches about biblical judgment. Because there is a difference between God's judgment and God's wrath. Okay? Here, here's where we're at. The wrath of God is his holy and justified action against the unholy. And the purpose of it is to bring punishment. It's to punish the wicked. But the judgment of God is the removal of God's hand of protection, which allows the enemy to attack, but the purpose of that judgment is to bring correction. It's not to bring destruction. It's not to bring punishment. It's to bring correction. Let me give you an example. Again, verse of scripture that we all quote, but most skip the first verse. Second Chronicles 7.13. God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. 
That's the first part. What is that? That's God's judgment. It's the lifting of his hand of protection. But it has a purpose. And what's interesting right now is that these three things are happening around the globe. Locusts are invading one country after another. Australia was on fire. I mean, the rains were shut off. Drought has been shut off in so many countries around the world. And now there's a plague or a pestilence that has spread across the globe. God says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, when I command locusts to devour the land, or when I send a plague among my people, what is that? That's, that's judgment. That is righteous judgment. But what is the purpose of it? It's found in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. What is that? That is judgment that brings about restoration in relationship with God. And we got to remember something, and this is so important, is that these things happen because of the love of God towards us. God wants his church, he wants his people to be what they're supposed to be and what they're called to be in this day. God needs the church to be, once again, the light of the, in darkness and the salt of the earth. Seven times in the book of Revelation, here's what it says. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Seven times God says that. So does the God still speak today? The answer is absolutely yes. And here's the thing that we need to understand. That God always sends a pure word of warning before judgment comes. Isaiah tells us that God was faithful to speak to his people. In Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And the Lord has sent a message against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And this verse tells us that God always sends his word first. Never in history, throughout the Bible, through Scripture, has the Lord left his people clueless in a time of calamity. He has given revelation he's given understanding he's given prophetic words he's he's giving them an opportunity to respond he's never abandoned his people and forced us to try and figure out things on our own he always provides a word of understanding i i, I was thinking about this and I, I i remember just a couple sundays ago the last time that we all met together and the church was fairly full and I, I, I had the same sense the Sunday following 9-11 when that infamous attack in New York City took place and churches across the country filled up for a few weeks. I remember the feeling and I remember that Sunday, the same atmosphere, the same charge of, a, of anticipation, excitement, something that God was up to something was going on. And I was so, I knew that God was saying something, but I remember back to 9-11. Many of you probably do not know the story, but let me tell you quickly. Six weeks prior to 9-11, the Holy Spirit warned the pastoral staff at Times Square Church in New York City that calamity was coming. 
He had scheduled, they had scheduled several major events. In fact, one that I had even wanted to go to, a pastor's conference that was going on there. But God prompted them to cancel everything on their calendar for the next several weeks. They didn't know why. They just felt the Holy Spirit telling them to do that. Instead, they called their congregation to prayer. And they began to hold prayer meetings four nights a week. And from the very beginning of every meeting, each meeting was marked by an awesome stillness that settled over the congregation. As people came in, it wasn't people, you know, you know talking and, you know, on fellowshipping and all that. It was just a sense of weightiness of God's presence in the room. And they came in and they sat quietly in the Lord's presence, often without a sound for up to an hour. And then suddenly, soft weeping and heart-wrenching repentance began to break across the auditorium. This happened night after night, week after week. And during this visitation from the Lord, the Holy Spirit revealed there was a reason for the weeping in their hearts. They were being moved because there was a tragedy that was coming a severe calamity that was coming upon the nation. They had no idea what it was, how it would come, when it was going to happen. The Holy Spirit was simply saying, I need someone to stand in the gap who will pray, who will reach out towards heaven for your nation. And even though they didn't know what was going on, their hearts were stirred to intercede concerning it. And then suddenly the terror struck. And one network anchor declared, quote, think of it, are two symbols of power and prosperity. The Pentagon and Wall Street have been smitten in one hour. There's another amazing story behind that. I don't have time to go into it. But the night before 9-11, many of those people felt inclined they felt impressed of the Holy Spirit to start making sandwiches. And they began making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and bagging them up, and they didn't know why. And then at 8 o'clock, well, after 8 the next morning, whenever it was, Eastern time, the first plane struck. And they were in Times Square. And there they were, people coming in off the streets. And they had food, and they had water, and they were already prepared. I'm telling you, God speaks. But in that moment after 9-11, the thing that, that ripped my heart out and still bothers me to this day, Americans were asking, what is this that's happening? What is this all about? Where is God in any and all of this? And unfortunately, the network, they called on ministers that had, had high profiles, public profiles, and they asked them, is God judging America? Is God, you know, Bringing, saying something in this, and one by one by one by one, they simply said, no, God had nothing to do with this. God doesn't do anything like this. This is just the actions of evil people. And what happened was America was ready and primed for a wake-up call, a spiritual awakening, and they missed that call. I'm convinced there have been other moments just like that. Katrina in 2005, the financial crisis of 2008, Hurricane Sandy in 2012. And just this week, 
There was an article two days ago, three days ago, on the Wall Street Journal and said, can there be a coronavirus spiritual awakening? And they were talking about, can, can this thing, that this pandemic, create a, another spiritual awakening? And my heart cried, yes, it can, but not if we're not going to tell the truth. Not if the gospel's not going to be preached. Not if we're going to fill the, the airwaves with vain philosophies and feel-good ideas. Because if we just say we're going to get through this and then things go back to normal. God isn't shaking his church and his, this world that we go back to normal. God is shaking us to wake us out of our slumber and out of our coldness of heart. And out of our deadness. And he's trying to wake us up. And this is like the voice that I heard that was saying, Bob, Bob, wake up. I hear God saying, church, it's time to wake up. Now we're facing a global upheaval, not only in, in physical health area, but in economic health as well. I've learned through God's word, and I've learned in times of crisis, that God will fashion a plan to bring correction to a nation, but it takes his people to recognize it, to respond correctly. I could teach a whole lesson on that part by itself. But the psalmist wrote in Psalms 11 and 3, he says, if the foundations of law and order have collapsed, what can the righteous do? See, the righteous are not just supposed to sit back and hunker down and just say, oh, we're just going to stick this out until, it, 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 until it's over. My friends, if anything, God has given you the opportunity to have time off, to spend time with him and get into his word and hear what the voice of the Spirit of God is saying to you and to your family and for your neighborhood and for your community. So if God is speaking, what is he saying to the church? I believe there's three or four things real quick. And the first and foremost is the same thing that he told Israel all through the Old Testament each time the judgment came against them. I believe it's the same thing that he told the church in Revelation 3 verses 14 to 19. It says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the faithful, are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me from me, gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes that you might see. And then he goes on in this last verse. Look what it says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. If God didn't love 
he wouldn't chastise. He wouldn't rebuke. He wouldn't bring judgment. He wouldn't bring a shaking. He would just let us go on our own course. But he says, those I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so repent. Be genuine. That's what earnest means. Be genuine about it. Be sincere and repent. So what is God calling the church? What is he saying to the church? Repent. He's saying repent. Because listen, church, if there is nothing else you and I as believers in Christ can do that will matter unless we repent. We can make all the promises. We can work harder. We can do all those things. God told the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds. I know your works. I know how busy you've been. I know how you're doing all these things, how you say you've acquired wealth and you've acquired all these things. But he said, what you need to do is repent. You need to see where you really are. And that's why God shakes us. That's why he shakes the very foundations of our lives at times. And that he shakes the nations at times that, that the church would wake up. Because the Bible said before he'll even bring judge, judgment upon the land, he's going to judge his own house. How fair it would be for him to judge nations of people who do not know God if he doesn't judge his own people who have the word of God. So what do we need to repent of? Lukewarm attitudes, lukewarm commitment, lukewarm love for him. We need to repent. Another thing that God's calling his church to do is to pray. The word of God makes it clear in Psalms 127 and 1, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Listen, if God is not our protector, it is obviously obvious to me we cannot protect ourselves. We must pray as we've never prayed before. I mean, we must take it beyond where we've been. Some people have written to me, texted to me saying, I prayed a little prayer for you today, and I'm like, thank you. I thank you, pray. I take all the prayers, all the little prayers. But boy, we need something more than just little prayers. We need people who will be so grieved in their hearts and, and so pulled down inside saying, God, what are you saying? He's saying, I need someone to stand in the gap. I needed someone to stand in the broken down walls, the breach of the nation, the spiritual condition of this nation. I need those individuals to stand there and, and hold, grab hold of one side and grab hold of the other and say, God, we need you to move. We must pray for national repentance we must pray for a visitation of God upon his church. We must pray for a move of God, period. I'm just telling you, we need to pray. We need to pray that the church become the church, the change agent of the world. The third thing I would tell you is that the God is calling his church to keep our eyes focused on him. God has always had a remnant that lived with him, for him, even in difficult times. And as bad as things can or might get right now, I would remind you of this truth. There is nothing that the devil can change one word of what God says. There is nothing he can do to change one word of what God says. If God says, I'll keep you, 
It's as easy for him to keep you in war as it is in times of peace. If God says, I'll provide for you, it's as easy for him to provide for you in a recession as it is in an economic boom. If God says the best is yet to come, it's as easy for him to bring the best from the worst as it is for him to bring the best from the best. God says, I'm going to build my church. He can build it anywhere, anytime, and under any condition. I'm telling you, conditions right now are finding out. There is a, there is a sifting that is taking place. And people's hearts are being challenged as to what they said they have believed and what they actually believe. If God says, repent and pray and I will heal your land, he can do it in America. And it doesn't matter what the atmosphere is, what the culture says, or what the courts dictate. Listen, church, I'm about to close. The events taking place in America right now should invoke a desperation for God in us that we have never experienced in our lifetime. Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 says the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. One translation says it this way, they shall stand firm and take action. I'm telling you, I like that. Because what we really need right now are people who are reaching for God who have never reached for God. I mean, who will press into the inner courts, the inner sanctuary of where he is like they have never done before. And then in closing, I want to assure you of two things. And the first one is that God has everything under control. He's still on the throne and he still knows your name. I said he still knows your name. He knows right where you are right now when you listen to this message, whether it's live right now or a little bit later. He still knows your name. And believe me, he knows your situation and he's in control. Nothing on the face of the earth takes place without his knowledge of it, without his permission for it, and sometimes with his working behind it. And the second thing that I want to tell you is that God has put the Holy Spirit inside of each and every believer. And because of that, with that, comes this incredible promise. In John 16 and 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. I will challenge you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he's saying. He will show you things to come. Listen, he will tell you what you need to do for yourself and for your family. He'll give you insights. He'll give you a plan. He'll give you a plan of action. He'll give you context. He'll bring to remembrance something from the past, someone you met. I'm telling you, we have to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. He who has an ear, let him hear what he's saying to the church. You and I are the church. And what he's telling you and what he's telling me, totally separate things, but it's all towards the same purpose and same goal. 
Listen, this could be the most trying hour for our nation. And yet at the same time, the church's finest hour. And I felt the Holy Spirit early this morning waking me up and said, tell my people, it all depends on this one thing. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. If this time is for anything, it's for fine-tuning our hearing to what the Spirit of God is saying. For too long, we've, we've relied on a pastor or a minister or a friend or an elder or someone to give us a word. And if anything, this isolation is a time to be shut in with God and hear His voice. I remember in high school, in California, a dear friend, one of my classmates passed away. And I remember going to a funeral and there was an elder black woman there who sat in an organ playing. And she began to sing this chorus and the words went something like this, shut in with God in a secret place. There in his presence, beholding his face. My friends, this is the time. If, if, if this doesn't cause us to go to the secret place, if this doesn't cause us to spend time with him then what will it take what will it take because god is raising up a church and i'm telling you like out of the ashes it's going to rise the church is going to rise and it's going to have a prophetic word a sure word a word that is life a word of hope but it's a word of truth He's looking for the young and the old and everyone in between who will spend time and listen to him and, and take in what he's saying. That we would say, God, I'm hearing what you're saying. Speak to me. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that's listening to this message. I pray that they would be encouraged and uplifted, but at the same time, I pray that they would be challenged, that they would go into the secret place. They would find the place where they would get into your word and they would spend time listening, Holy Spirit, to you. You were given for the purpose of speaking truth guiding us and directing us and if there was ever a time we need guidance and direction it's now 
But it's out of this that will rise up a new generation of men and women, young people filled with the Spirit who will have a prophetic word, a prophetic spirit upon them, the hand of God upon them. And they will go out and declare boldly the message of the church. God, it's in the times of difficulty that the church has thrived throughout history. Let this time not be wasted. The politicians have coined the phrase, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Well, God, I pray, don't let this moment go to waste on your church. Don't let them just have an idea that when it passes over, we'll go back to normal. God, I pray, we don't need normal. We need on fire. We need, we need the fire of Almighty God to fall upon your church and upon those who are in the pulpits. God, we pray for our national leaders and state leaders and local leaders that you give them the wisdom they need to handle this crisis at this time. And that we as citizens would do all that we can do to abide by those rules and keep our conscience clear towards you. And at the same time, Lord God, open our eyes that we see those around us that we would administer the love and the hope of Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. If you need anything, call us, message us, text us, whatever, and we'll be in contact with you. Until then, God bless.